Today's first scripture reading comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 and 18. These can be found on page 1063 in your church Bible. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second scripture reading today comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 to 20, and can be found on page 1182 of your church Bible. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, or things have been created through him and for him. He is therefore all things, and in, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwelt in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today we will continue on with our study of Colossians. Last week we covered verses 1 through 14, and we mainly discussed our hope that we as Christians have in heaven. We have the hope and knowledge that we will be directly in God's perfect presence forever. And we talked about how this hope can strengthen our faith today when we walk through difficulties, and it can help us to love those around us more selflessly. We also talked about how when we are tempted by the false advertisements of the world, the false joy or peace or love that the world tells us it can give us, we can remember that God alone is the one who satisfies us. Lastly, last week we talked about how salvation is through Jesus Christ and that Jesus alone can bring us forgiveness of our sins. Let's pray as we get started on our verses for today. Lord, please speak to us through your words. God, we need you desperately, and we need you to help us to understand what you are telling us through your words in Colossians. Holy Spirit, please enlighten us, lead us, and guide us today. 
In your name, Jesus, amen. Hold the mic. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right, today we are going to focus on Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. We will start with reviewing the context a little bit, as it will be helpful for us to understand today's passage better. As we talked about last week, it seems like Epaphras, a man who started the church in Colossae, told Paul about some of the false teachings that were, be spread, that were being spread at the church. These were folk and mystical Jewish teachings, probably by, given by some teachers in the city. These teachings involved many different concepts. They would have taught that there's many heavenly beings and angels that one should pray to and that one should worship. And all of these different heavenly beings could connect you with God. And without them, you could not access God. They probably taught that Jesus was just one of these many, many, many beings you could pray to. They also probably taught other things like legalistic rules, circumcision, there being a secret level of knowledge you can reach once you're holy enough, and that the physical world is evil and only spiritual things are good. So there's a lot of different errors going on in these teachings, but their greatest error was teaching that Christ was not God, but just another one of these many heavenly beings. And so in today's verses, Paul is going to focus on the doctrine of Christ, on correcting these false views, and he's going to talk about how Jesus is before all, how he's over all, and how he is all that we need. Lastly, before we get to today's verses, already in last week's verses, 1 through 14, Paul was using this opening sequence to teach us something about the doctrine of God, the Trinity. In these verses, Paul talks about the Father, who has qualified us to inherit eternal life and who loves the Son. He talks about the Son, in whom we have redemption and forgiveness of sins. And he talks about the Spirit, who gives us wisdom and understanding so that we can live our daily lives rightly. And so Paul, right off in this letter, is subtly combating these heresies by weaving in correct doctrine about who God is and about how he works in the world. And again, in the following passages, Paul is going to discuss mainly one person of the Trinity, the Son, and who this person is. So today we'll focus on three main points that Paul makes to us in the text. Firstly, Jesus is the image of God, as Paula talked about just now. So Jesus is the image of God. The second point is that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. And the third point is that Jesus is the head of the church. So we will walk through these points and what they mean for our lives today. Now let's finally start off with our verses. Let's read again verses 13 and 14, and then we will get to 15. So follow along in your bulletin or in your Bible if that helps you um, with the passage. Let's read. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. These two verses set up verses 15 through 20. The kingdom of the son he loves is the kingdom of 
God. This is our hope of heaven. And in Jesus, the Son, alone do we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In the Son alone do we enter the kingdom. Now, verses 15 through 20 are going to specifically describe who this Son is. Paul is going to give us a treatise on the Son that the Father loves, the Son who has brought us redemption. Some people think that verses 15 through 20, which we'll read, was a common song or a poem for people to memorize, to memorize the doctrine of Jesus, since so many people could not read at that time. So if you're someone who memorizes scripture or who wants to memorize scripture, this would be a great passage to do so. Let's read again together verses 15 through 20 to give us an overview of the passage. Paul says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So the picture God gives us here is that the Son is supreme. He is before all things, over all things, and all things are in him. So we'll now focus on verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So here is our first point. Jesus is the image of God. What does Paul exactly mean by this? The word image could be used for the image in a mirror or uh, the image stamped onto a Roman coin. In Hebrews, Paul says this in another way. He says Jesus is the exact representation of his, so God's, the exact representation of God's being. So he's saying Jesus is the exact image of God. So Jesus is not a shadowy figure or some mysterious being. Jesus is not some angelic being among many. What Paul is really saying is that Jesus is God, and he's saying it in a special way that clearly shows us two persons of the Trinity. It shows us the Father, the invisible God, and the Son. In saying that Jesus is the image of God, he is also saying that who our God is, God's character and his uh, person, is perfectly described and shown to us in and through Jesus' life. So when you look at your face in a foggy mirror, you can partially see yourself. You can see some colors and general shapes and shadows but you don't nearly get the full picture. You don't get all the details. You don't see all your nose hairs that are up in there, right? But when the moisture is gone or you wipe the mirror down, you can see yourself crystal clear. Or for example, if you watch a movie on those old tube TVs, right? It's all grainy, it's kind of blurry. The sound kind of sounds like it's coming through a radio. But when you see an image on a 4K TV, it's spectacularly clear. In a similar vein, Jesus is the crystal clear image of God, not a blurry or a foggy image. 
He is God, and we know who God is in so many ways because Jesus is God, and we see Jesus' life, and we know his words to us in the Bible. Before Jesus came, I really think it would have been more challenging to understand who God is. God is so, so beyond our capacity um, and imagination as human beings. Think about the comparison, for example, between humans and ants. Ants are so limited compared to us, right? We know what ants are. We can study them. We kind of shoo them away or, or smash them when they annoy us. But an ant cannot even comprehend the idea of what a human is. Maybe they could try, probably not, but if they did try, they would not get very far. Their brain is tiny. There's such a massive gap between human and ant mental capabilities. But in the same way, God is so, so beyond our own capacity as humans. Compared to God, we actually have less ability than ants do compared to us. God is all-knowing, all-powerful, while we are very, very finite. Every way and every time that God speaks to us, he has to come down to our simple level, to our limited capacity and ability. It's humbling, right? It's really humbling. In the Old Testament, in history, God stooped down to us humans and spoke to us in ways that we could understand, so in language or words, in miracles, in works of power, in the cloud, in the temple. But God's plan was to show us himself, who he is and his character, in a way that would be much more clear to us. And this is through Jesus. Through the Son, the person of the Trinity, coming down and staying fully God, but becoming fully human. God speaks to us so clearly in Jesus. We can understand God so much better because God has come to us in a way that we simple humans can understand. The Son became one of us. In Jesus' life, his actions, his attitudes, his words, everything we see Jesus do teaches us about who God is. Not in a fogged up mirror way or an old TV way, but in a crystal clear way. Jesus is God and his nature and character are perfectly revealed to us in Jesus. We'll now look at the second part of verse 15. So let's read verse 15 once more. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now this brings us to our second main point for today. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. Now this is vitally important as we start this. The phrase, the firstborn over all creation, is not saying that the Son, Jesus, the person of the Trinity, was created. It is not saying that. The phrase firstborn is a phrase that denotes special status to someone. For example, in the book of Psalms, God is talking and he says he will appoint David to be his firstborn. So clearly it has nothing to do with literally being born if David was 40 or so years old then and David was the last son in his family. So this is a phrase about status. And Jesus, as the firstborn over all creation, is a statement about Jesus' special status and privilege. 
The firstborn son in this culture often inherited special privilege and status that the other children did not. The firstborn was the heir. And so by God telling David, who was not a firstborn son in the literal sense, God told David he appointed him firstborn. He said that he was giving David a special blessing and a special privilege. And God was with and worked through David in special ways, right? And in this, David acted as a type or a foreshadow of Jesus to come. David was the king. God appointed him firstborn. But he was just a man, and he was sinful. And ultimately, he could not save his people from death or from their sins. But Jesus is the fulfillment of what David pointed to. Jesus, as the Bible tells us, is the ultimate king. Jesus is the image of God, fully God, fully man. And Jesus is appointed firstborn. He is perfect, and he is the one who could save his people from death. Right? Jesus alone has brought us forgiveness of sins. And so the phrase, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation, is saying that Jesus has a special status over all things in the universe, over all things created. Soon after the time of Jesus, there was a belief called Arianism that started to become popular, kind of similar to what the Colossians were dealing with. This teaching said that Jesus was a created being. It said he was the first being created by God, and he had a special high status because of that, but he was not God. This was deemed heresy or a lie by the church in the fourth century because it's not what the Bible teaches us, but some of that confusion may have come from a misunderstanding of this verse. Today, this is a belief and a misunderstanding that we still need to watch out for. The religion of Jehovah's Witness, right? You might see them standing on sidewalk corners, handing out books. They believe that Jesus is a created being and is a separate being from God the Father. In the religion of Mormonism, it's similar. It's taught that Jesus is not the same God as the Father, but is really another man, another created being who has risen up to the status and become another God. These teachings are still here today, as they were for the Colossians, and these false teachings we need to be wary of. We need to remember that they are around. But more importantly, we need to remember to pray for and love and reach out to those around us who have been caught up into these wrong teachings, just as Paul is doing for the Colossians here in this letter. Now, verses 16 and 17 are going to continue to flesh out this idea of Jesus' special status over all creation. Let's read again from verse 16. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So again, to emphasize that Christ was not created, everything in existence, visible and invisible, was created by Jesus. Jesus' special status, his firstborn status, is that he is God and that he created everything and that everything was created for him. 
It uses the words, all things were created in him, through him, and for him. By in him, Jesus is the origin of all things. Through him, Jesus was actively involved in the creation of all things. For him, Jesus is the goal of all creation. The meaning of life and of the universe is to glorify God. It's the reason for existing. Lastly, verse 17 says, in him all things hold together. So Jesus is the sustainer of all life. Nothing could have existed in the first place, and nothing can continue to exist if not for Jesus choosing it to. Our second scripture passage that Mao read earlier from John really complements this passage well. In the Gospel of John, John starts it right off with a treatise on who Jesus really is. And he is going to use the phrase, the word, over and over. And by this phrase, he means Jesus or the Son. So let's read those verses again. John 1, 1 through 4 and verse 18. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So if this wasn't clear enough to us in Colossians, it's very clear now. Jesus is God. He is before all else. He is eternal. All things are made through him and life is through him. Now, just a few final thoughts on verse 16. In the verse, Paul says, in Jesus, all things were created, and he uses the phrase, if you look at it, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And these four specific things, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities, people believe is referencing a kind of angelic or spiritual being ranking system that the false teachers used in their teachings. So these teachers use these specific words to kind of rank what beings you should worship, what beings have what power. And as said before, they were teaching this whole system, right? You could worship these beings and these beings would connect you to God or give you blessings, things like that. And so as we previously discussed, The way to God that was taught was not necessarily Jesus. Now, Paul here is teaching us, though, that Jesus is vastly superior to these other beings. Whatever beings there are that exist, Jesus actually created them. He is above and over them, and they were originally created to worship him and to serve him, whether they do that now or not. These beings cannot connect us to God. Only Jesus can. I think this wrong idea of us having other ways to connect to God besides Jesus is important. I do think this is something that us Christians still still deal with today, although maybe it's in other forms or looks like different things here in the West. And so I want to challenge you with three quick examples, and maybe you don't resonate with any of these things, but I want to challenge you to reflect on how you personally may try to reach God without Jesus. The first example that came to my mind would be trying to reach God through morality. 
getting caught up in thinking that to reach God, I need to be perfect, that I'm not loved by God unless I'm good, and that if I can just be moral enough, if I can systematically confess every sin I've ever done, that, that my goodness is going to save me. This is a lie that I often find myself buying into, even if, I, if I'm not consciously thinking about it. And it leads me to be legalistic and unloving towards others, unloving towards myself. And it draws my attention away from God and it puts my attention on myself. The reality is Jesus is enough for us and striving to reach him through our morality is striving to reach God without Jesus. Another example would be relying on another person for your connection with God. Maybe your spouse loves God or your boyfriend or girlfriend or your mom or your dad or your best friend and you're not really that into God. Maybe you believe he exists but you don't really have faith in him. He's not that important to you but you play along. You you come to church or whatever because you're told to and you might think, eh, I'm all right, I think. I'm covered. My My wife talks to God. She'll talk for me. She's got me. This is striving to reach God without Jesus, and you cannot reach God without Jesus. One last example that's common today is is praying to saints or praying to Mary. And this is not common in the Protestant tradition, but I know a lot of us may have grown up Catholic or are still part of the Catholic Church, and I want to gently challenge this practice. Is Jesus not enough to answer our prayers? Do we really need another mediator, another helper, another person to connect us to God than Jesus? I would argue that this passage argues that this practice is striving to reach God without Jesus. And it's looking to other beings than God for help. So if you have time later today, try and reflect on this question. Do I look to other means to try and reach God without Jesus? So far, we have talked about two of our main topics. Jesus is the image of God. He is God himself, and God makes himself clear to us through him. Secondly, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He is God, and thus he has a special status over all things. All things are created through him and exist to glorify him. Now we will move on to verse 18. Follow along if you'd like. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. We come to our third and last point. Jesus is the head of the church. Let's start off by focusing on the phrase, and he is the head of the body, the church. This implies that Jesus is not only the creator of the church, but he is the active leader of the church. He is our good shepherd who is leading us silly sheep. As other passages talk about, we Christians, the church, are the body of Christ, so the hands and the feet and the elbows, and Jesus is our head, our leader. And Jesus is the head of the universal church as well as our local church here at IPC. This truth has a very practical application to us today. Jesus being the head of the church is good for, at, for us at IPC to remember in a time like this, that we're in between our head pastors. Church structure 
And having members and pastoral staff and elders is a great thing and it is necessary. But IPC's pastors are not the head of the church. IPC's members as a church democracy are not the head of the church. And IPC's elders as a team are not the head of the church. Christ is the true head above all of us. He alone is the one who we desperately need. A specific person or leader or program cannot fulfill this role. If we put our hope in anything else as a church, we are going to be disappointed. And so I think it's vital for us to remember this. Our hope should be in God, not in humans. Here in Switzerland, we love democracy. And democracy is great because it limits our ability as humans to do evil to each other. But the reality is that the best government and the eternal government is going to be a monarchy with God as the king, with God as the head. Now, a monarchy with anyone else as the, as the king or the head is a bad situation. But God as the king and the head, that's perfect. And we need to remember that. God is the perfect king, and we need him to be the perfect head of our church. No one and nothing else will do. We need to look to him. Now we will end today by looking at the second part of this phrase in verse 18. So let's read that again. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The phrase, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, I believe is again referencing the church. God teaches us in the Bible that in the fullness of time, there will be a resurrection from the dead for all people. And those that know God, that have a relationship with him, will be given redeemed, sin-nature-free, eternal bodies and will live with God in eternity. And those who don't know God won't, and they will be separated from him. The church will be those who rise and who are given these redeemed bodies. When Jesus died on the cross, he rose again physically, and he is the only one to rise again by his own power. And Jesus rose again with this eternal body, right? It seemed that his physical body was changed in a way, and it points to or foreshadows the bodies that we also will receive as followers of him. And so again, Jesus as the firstborn status, it says, the special status among those who will rise again and be with him. And so Jesus is the beginning and the first of the church. He is the head of the church today, and he is going to be the head of the church into eternity, forever. This is great, right? Jesus will reign supreme. He'll be our head, our leader. And we have this beautiful hope of heaven to be led by God forever. Now let's review. Firstly, Jesus is the image of God. He is God himself, and God reveals himself to us through Jesus. Secondly, Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. He is God, and thus he has special status over all things. All things exist to glorify him. And lastly, Jesus is the head of the church. He is the creator and leader of the church. He is the head of the church today, and God will be the head of the church for eternity. Jesus is supreme. All glory be to him. Let's pray.
Jesus, thank you that you are supreme to everything. Thank you that you connect us to the Father, that you connect us to yourself, and that our hope alone is in you. Thank you that everything exists to glorify you, because glorifying you, being loved by you, and loving you is the greatest possible thing in the universe. God, you are so good. Please focus our hearts and our minds on you this week. In your name, Jesus. Amen.